Amen. Good, vibrant congregation we have this morning. Praise God for that. Um, That's this morning. This evening, we have Celebrate Christmas, like Robin mentioned. Uh, Tomorrow is our monthly prayer gathering. I think Kathy mentioned that at 7 p.m. in room 102. And then a couple weeks after that, we've got our Christmas Eve services. Um, Much of that is ideal to invite family and Friends, and then after Christmas Eve, or maybe before that, is when a good bit of our church family, I know we all, myself included, we just start to scatter um, all over the country uh, to see family and friends. And in the midst of those travels, can I just implore you to pay attention to the highway signs? Um, it was about nine or ten years ago, so this is pre Garmin, pre Google Maps on your phone. Uh, Sarah and I were driving home uh, from South Carolina to Pittsburgh, Um, I think it was Christmas, maybe Thanksgiving, um, to her family's home. A couple kids in the back seat, we uh, we stopped for lunch at Taco Bell, and uh, and we asked a guy in the the parking lot there what town we were in, and he said we were in Bristol, uh, Tennessee. Tennessee is not on the way to Pittsburgh. Not, not at all, really. Um, uh, so it's supposed to be, you know, I-81 for a while, and then you take 77 north. Um, but, it, you know, it was raining, and both highways, they kind of look the same. Um, lots of people miss that interchange. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't actually know that. I'm just making that up. I could be the only person who ever missed that interchange, actually. Uh, the point is, we traveled, not seven... Not 17. We traveled 71 miles until we stopped for lunch and realized we were in a really bad way. This was um, round trip. It equaled about two solid hours of highway driving time with squirrely kids and bad weather and all for Taco Bell. <laughs> and I assure you, the gordita was not that great. Um, and you know, something, so something similar can happen in our spiritual lives uh, because of Christian vocabulary and because of religious outward appearance, uh, men and women, perhaps some in this room today, uh, we can spend uh, months, we can spend years, sometimes decades, oblivious that we're driving in the wrong direction. I-81 and I-77 for a while there, can look really similar. The Christian life and the almost Christian life can as well. So this morning, uh, if you brought your Bibles, we're continuing our study through the book of Acts, chapter 19, um, and I want to introduce you to 12 almost Christians. Um, Paul has left the home church of Antioch, you'll recall. Um, He is now on, not the first, not the second, but we're now on the third missionary journey, and we're making our way back to Ephesus. We're getting to know Ephesus a little bit, um, and we're going to read here in Acts 19 about these 12 men that we come across. Um, At first, it appears they're disciples of Christ. But as you read on, you discover they're not really disciples at all. They're not saved. So Acts 19, 
If you're using one of the Black Bibles, this is page 928 to 7 verses this morning, beginning at verse 1. And this now is the very word of our Lord. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Let's take a minute and let's pray through this before we work through it. Lord, this is your church, and it's a good one. And you have called us out of the world, and you have given us your Holy Spirit, and now we pray that that same Spirit would give us understanding, would convict us where we need it, would encourage us where we lack it. Lord, give us the mind of Christ, even as we come to your word now. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Remember learning penmanship in school? For me, you know, that wasn't that long ago. I'm still quite young. Still in my 30s, actually. For another 63 hours, I'm still in my 30s. Uh, Do you remember learning cursive? Um, How your teacher would uh, write it out, um, you know, model it out on the top line there, and then you would try to imitate it on, on the bottom line. Um, do they still even teach cursive? I don't know. I just tell Tier- Siri what I need to say, uh, and, then, and then she tells me what she wants to say. Uh, but it took forever when you were learning cursive, and it, you know, it was aggravating at times, and then finally, right, you began to get it, that you had you know, the, little, the little swoosh there and the, and the little loop there. Um, that's kind of the Christian life, right? You watch how Jesus models out how to live, and then by faith in him, we receive his spirit, which enables us to write after him on the bottom line there, as it were. Over a lifetime, the indwelling Holy Spirit perfects our penmanship. But what happens if you don't have the Holy Spirit at all? You know, moving from penmanship to the heart, what happens when you're trying to do all the external stuff but without the internal change. Well, that's where you have an almost Christian. Okay, an almost Christian is one acquainted with the gospel. They have heard it many times, 
They can probably reiterate it to others. They may find the Christian message stimulating, um, something to be listened to, perhaps from time to time, a wee bit troubling. Uh, Begg says the almost Christian is tolerant of the gospel because it's understood as a message that offers everything and demands nothing. And to be honest, Medway Community Church, that is a message that is proclaimed from far too many pulpits today, that the gospel um, offers everything, it demands nothing nothing. Um, And I want to lay it down for you this morning as axiomatic that the gospel always demands a decision. In fact, before this sermon is over, I want to give you an opportunity to make a decision. Um, Within the text in front of you, so Ephesus, we're getting to know this town pretty well. We were here last week with Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos, and then we're going to be back in the new year. We'll probably take a break after this and do some Christmas sermons, and then we'll come back to Ephesus again in January. Uh, For now, understand, Paul is returning to the city. He's been here before. We're planting a church here. Uh, Paul's returning now on his third missionary trip, and he encounters in this city 12 men. They're religious They know some stuff, but then it starts to come out. And I know seven verses, like it's just kind of right past you. So you got to kind of read between the lines and and understand this, this happened over a period of time. It starts to come out that these guys were missing some pretty big pieces in their understanding. Um... And then I, I think about in the, the mid-1700s, um, settlers um, were pulling out of Virginia and they were going across the Appalachian uh, Mountains and they were going to settle in the valleys um, on the other side of that, if you've ever been uh, in that area of the country, and it's beautiful. Uh, this was a, it was a hard path, right? Colonial era, um, a pocket of these settlers ended up not making it uh, to the destination. They didn't die they just stopped in the mountains uh, because of weather and other factors, and they just, they just settled right there, um, and they remained isolated for years. 20 years later, in fact, true story, some travelers now moved through that region, and they found this little pocket of people, this community that had remained isolated for two decades, and they knew nothing of the Continental Congress or Washington or the New Republic, they were under the impression they were still loyal subjects of King George. In a similar way, what you have in these verses here, I think, is men who, you know, they knew of John the Baptist, but they knew nothing of Jesus the Christ. They didn't know of the triune God. They didn't understand or know of the three in one and the Spirit. Now, they should have known. I mean, the Holy Spirit, or uh, the, the Old Testament, it talks of the Holy Spirit, certainly. Uh, John, the baptized, John the Baptist himself, he said, I'm going to baptize with the Holy Spirit, or the, the Messiah would. They didn't know these things. Either they had been told them and they chose to ignore them, or they had never been told them at all, um, which is, I guess as a footnote, another example of the pressing urgency for evangelism and missions. Um, So these men had the form of religion. They had received the the baptism of John, which was, you know, we call it a baptism of repentance. It was kind of a sign of like ethical renewal. But they knew not a God who had sent his son 
born of a virgin, miraculously so, born in a stable, and yet was the king of creation. So Paul told him. He told him with clarity. We've, we've seen this a, a dozen times in previous chapters. Paul would have told them of the Christ who had been crucified, resurrected by faith. We rest in him. Uh, Paul would have explained that God does not love us because we are good, but God makes us good because he loves us. And that's a really important distinction, that God does not love us because we are good, but he makes us good because he loves us. Do you know that, Christian? Or do you still imagine that really deep down, religion is moral improvement? See, the almost Christian is thinking touch-up. The Christian experiences complete renovation. Borrowing a little bit from Eidelman here, the almost Christian wants a tune-up. The Christian accepts a full overhaul. The almost Christian thinks redecorate. The Christian gets a total remodel. The almost Christian says, I need a little God in my life, which is kind of like buckling the seatbelt after the accident, right? Oh, I'm doing pretty well, but I'll, I'll go to God if things go south on me. For the Christian, though, it's, it's an all-or-nothing kind of faith. You know, we think of, of Joshua there drawing the line in the sand and saying, choose this day whom you will serve. Um, or Jesus himself, Luke 14, if anyone comes to me and does not hate even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. I want to be this morning for you as clear as Paul would have been for them. Because, you know, Christmas season, it's a good time to just revisit the basics a little bit. Uh, so let me say it like this. The Christian life, at its core, is just two things. The Christian life, at its core, is two things. Turning from our sin, that is repentance, and turning to Christ, that is faith. It cannot be more than that. It must not be less than that. Turning from sin, turning to Christ. In Acts 19, these men, I think they had done the former, but they had not done the latter. Um, one of my very fa favorite quotes is from an, an old Puritan named Thomas Watson. He said, the two great graces are faith and repentance, these are the two wings by which one flies to heaven. I give that to every inquirer's course because it's such a perfect example of the Christian life. Faith and repentance. It's not a one-time thing. It's not a thing I did when I was four or when I was 14 or when I was 40, but faith and repentance are the wings, the daily wings upon which we fly to heaven. Listen, sorrow for sin is good. But if that's all you've got, you're not a Christian. You're an almost Christian. And an almost Christian almost gets to heaven. Someone in the back says, okay, Trav, I mean, that, <laughs> that might be true for most, but you don't know where I've been. You don't know, Trav, what I've done to my, to my parents, to my wife, to my kids. You don't know what I did last week, last night, 
Well, here's my response. You're in the right spot. Because you understand, it is precisely our sins and not our goodness that commend us to the grace of God. Do you know that? It is precisely our sins and not our goodness that commend us to the grace of God. These guys get it. Um, You can see how the text finishes, right? On on hearing of this Jesus who saves, the 12 men profess faith. They were, quote, baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus because it wasn't enough to have the outward form of religion. There had to be an inward change through the Holy Spirit. And then that's made visible by profession of faith and baptism, which is, of course, exactly what we got to witness up here, like, 25 minutes ago. And then that brings us to ourselves. How about you? Are you confident that you're driving in the right direction and you have been for some time? Or do you have a sneaking suspicion that all this talk about turning from your sin and turning to Christ well, you think, I'm not really sure I've ever actually done that. You know, at the men's retreat a few weeks ago, we talked about how uh, for men, you know, we're really good and we're really willing to evaluate all kinds of things, right? We, we will evaluate our boss, we will evaluate our church, we will evaluate our, our pastor and our kids and the patriots and everything, but we're not always so great, honestly, at self-evaluation, And maybe some of you women are the the, the same way. Um, Borrowing in part from Francis Chan, let me suggest to you a few diagnostic statements that we can maybe turn on ourselves a little bit this morning. The question is, how does the almost Christian live? Well, the almost Christian attends church fairly regularly. Is that a bad thing? No, (laughs) it's a good thing. Um, But the point is the road to Pittsburgh and the road to Taco Bell (laughs) often look for quite a while very similar. So can the road to the cross and the road away from it. Number two, I got eight of these. The almost Christian ignores the reality that the right thing and the hard thing are usually the same thing. The almost Christian gives money to charity, and even the church, so long as it does not impinge on their standard of living. The almost Christian doesn't really want to be saved from their sin. They only want to be saved from the penalty of their sin. Number five, The almost Christian does not share the news of Christ with neighbors, co-workers, or friends. Six, the almost Christian chooses what is popular over what is proper. The almost Christian thinks far more about their comfort on earth than their eternity in heaven. And then last one, The almost Christian pretends that what he does in his solitude isn't who he really is. 
Listen, for those of you who are paying attention to those, I, I doubt there's a one of us who wasn't pricked by a couple of them. My, my goal here is not to convince you you're, you're not saved. <laughs> my goal is to ask you, you know, if these, are, if these are like data points, and you start to notice them, every one of them just piling up, wouldn't that not cause the sensible person to, to pause for a moment and do a little heart check? Recheck the map if you begin to suspect you're not on the right road after all. Um, Next, beginning next month, we, we just uh, confirmed it yesterday, our 22-year-old uh, uh, niece, Jordan, is going to come and live with us for a few months. She is going to do an internship out in Whitensville, and um, she's, uh, she loves Jesus. She's awesome. I want you to imagine for a moment that she's not awesome, because uh, you know, when you live in my house, you get to be a part of my sermons, so I just, I'm going with her. Imagine Sarah and I, we, we take the girls out and we head out for a few weeks. And we leave Jordan because she's living in the house now. We, we leave her there uh, for, for, for these weeks. But I hand her some really carefully well-detailed instructions about how to care for the house while we're gone, right? Um, we kind of go through in the middle of the winter. This is how you bleed off the lines to make sure they don't freeze. This is how, uh, you know, this is when the trash is going to get picked up. Um, uh, this is how you start the snowblower, all of, all of the details that you would want someone to know if they're staying in your house. And then we, we head out and we're gone for a few weeks. And then we come back and um, we can't get in the driveway because the snow is, you know, a, a foot and a half deep in the driveway. And there's trash and it's just, it's just blowing all over the property. Outside spigots are dripping water, which is turning to ice, and the inside of the house is just an absolute mess. And we go inside and we ask, Jordan, what happened here? And she says, Uncle Trev, you know, your instructions were very helpful to me. I, I studied them, I memorized some of them. I even recite them sometimes during the day because it makes me feel good. I did a needlepoint of one, and I put it up on the wall. <laughs> All right, so you know where we're going here, right? Trev, I mean, the instructions are, are great. I, I spend a little, little quiet time each morning go reviewing them. I even have some friends come over a couple times a month, and we, we all study your instructions together as a small group. And, of course, the whole time I'm thinking, did it occur to you to do them? <laughs> You get the point. Familiarity with the Bible. It does not make you a Christian, my friend. Inward transformation will be evidenced by external change. Because at its core, the Christian life is two things. It's repentance and it's faith. What must I do to go to heaven? Turn from sin and turn to Christ alone. What must I do to go to hell? Absolutely nothing. I told you I wanted to give you an opportunity to make a decision this morning. Um, some of you have been in churches where, where you walk down the aisle. Um, I mean, you can do that if you want. Uh, that, that's fine. It doesn't matter much to me. You can kneel in your pew. You can just bow your head. 
I don't care. What I care about is that MCC never, ever becomes a church where the almost Christian doesn't know the difference between the almost Christian and the Christian. Folks, I got my own heart to contend with. The last thing I need to do is try and judge one of yours. But I want to plead with you to do the regular work of self-evaluation. If you have any doubt where you stand with Christ, and we got a, we got a prayer team that meets up here at the end of every single service, every single Sunday. You're more than welcome to talk to Pastor Carl, uh, Pastor Don, myself, one of the elders. For now, let's pray. And as we pray, if you are determined to finally, for the first time, covenant with God that He would be your Savior, can I encourage you to pray these, these words in your own heart as I pray them out loud. Lord, I confess I am a sinner, guilty and broken. I ask you to save me, to take your place as Lord of my life. I want to turn from my guilt and my selfishness to you. And I want to thank you for the promise that if I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth, I will be saved and your spirit will dwell within me. Lord, I have lived too long as an almost Christian. Will you make me a Christian this day? In the name of Christ, we pray these things. Amen. for joining us for today's message. Medway Community Church would love to welcome you as our guest one day soon. Our church family meets every Sunday morning for worship and also offers a wide variety of small group and ministry opportunities. To learn more, please visit us on the web at medwaycommunitychurch.org. We look forward to seeing you soon. Washing all my shame.